faithful. And the name of that song is, O Come All You Unfaithful, because it's meant to point us to the faithfulness of Christ and remind us that uh, on our own, there's nothing that we can do to be counted as faithful, but it's because of the work of Jesus that we can be forgiven, that our sins are, are separated from us as far as the east from the west, and that we have hope, even as we've seen today through the lighting of the hope candle, that is, that is centered upon the person, the work of Jesus, what he has done for us. We're excited to celebrate the season of Christmas, the season of Advent together, and that song even will be a part of the program that our choir will present in just a few weeks on a Sunday morning. And so we're, we're really looking forward to that as well. Well, as we get into the time for the message this morning, I want to pause first to dismiss our children for kids' crews. So our children who are fourth grade and younger are going to make their way upstairs with our leaders for our kids' crew time, a time of worship that is specifically for them. And as they make their way forward and head upstairs, let me encourage you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're reading through the Bible together this year. We've been following a Bible reading plan all year long. And if you've been following it from January to now, then let me just say, first of all, well done, because it's quite an accomplishment. And the, the end is in sight. We're in the last month of the year now. And so we are nearing the completion of this Bible reading plan for those who've been following along. If you haven't been following along and reading through the Bible this year, let me say to you, hey, that's okay too, right? Uh, and, and if you started and you've stopped and you've re-engaged, or maybe you would say, I'm still going, but I'm really far behind, let me just say to you, you're doing great. So keep going. Because the point is not to uh, elevate somehow the, the goodness of those who've read every day and are up to, up to speed, but rather the, the whole point is for us to engage the story of Scripture and see the Scripture as one story, not 66 different stories with the 66 different books, but rather one story that is telling us of God's creation and then the story of our fall, of God's redemptive work in Jesus and ultimately the coming consummation when he returns again in glory. And if you know a little bit about the timeline of sorts, the, the chronology of the Bible, then you know it's particularly the act of consummation that is to come in this final month. As we, as we finish reading through the various letters, the epistles, and we get into the book of Revelation and we see not only a recounting of things that were happening in, in the moment, so to speak, as John was writing that, that book, but also his vision of things to come that is pointing us to the hope that we have, the future hope that we have even in a returning Savior, Jesus, and his return, his second advent, if you will. And I'm excited for us to celebrate that as we, as we study, as we read together. Today in 2 Corinthians, our focus is going to be particularly on verses 16 through 21. And I love how this passage is pointing us to the work of Christ, but it's also helping us to see our response, what should be our response anyway, in light of what it is that Jesus has done for us. And 2 Corinthians points us to that fact. There's a word that's used here 
In verse 20, the word ambassadors. And I want you to think for a moment about what an ambassador is because before we even read the text together, I want to think about what an ambassador is because then that will help maybe prepare our hearts and our minds to read it and understand it as it's being given to us because we are being called to be Christ's ambassadors. That's the point of what this text is going to teach us. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador is someone who represents one group, if you will, to another. Now, we often think of ambassadors as it relates to our nation. We think of the role that ambassadors play, like say in the, in the political world, for example. Right now, there's a lot of turmoil that's happening in the Middle East with all the things that are happening in, uh, in Israel and, and uh, the, the conflict between Israel and Hamas. And of course, that is deservedly getting a lot of attention in the news. And one of the things that's being talked about in the midst of that conversation, if you're paying attention, is the role of uh, ambassadors, ambassadors, foreign ambassadors to Israel and, and the role that these ambassadors have in representing the interest of their nation to Israel. Our own Secretary of State has also made visits. Even our president has made a visit to Israel in recent weeks and sort of representing our interests, but it's not always prudent. It's not always even uh, possible or, or even safe for our president as our commander-in-chief to be there on the front lines. And so instead, he sends someone as his agent, a representative of his government or his executive authority to represent the United States and that front. That's the ambassador, right? Now let's think about what that means in this context. An ambassador in this sense, that we are Christ's ambassadors, means that we are to go into this world and we represent the, the interest, if you will, the, the authority of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Well, what is that interest of Christ in a lost and dying world? Well, the interest is that everyone who is lost in their sin. Everyone apart from a saving faith of Christ would come to know him by faith, trusting in Jesus. And his authority that we speak of there is his power to save us, to forgive us of sin. And so our role as ambassadors is to preach that, that message, to share that, that news that we refer to as the gospel, the good news, to a world that needs it. And it's with that thought in mind, the role that we're to play as ambassadors of Christ to the world around us, that I want us to read together, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 16, and we'll just finish this chapter. We'll finish chapter 5 together. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
When you read this passage, there are several important things that, that I hope you, 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 you key in on and you identify. And I think it will be helpful for us to look at these just to use the, the language of the text as sort of a, a roadmap, a guide. So in the passage itself, there are three different therefore statements, three different times that you see the word therefore in the text. Now, I've said before that you should, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should always pause. It should trigger something in your mind. I'm trying to train you this way. Uh, and so even as I start to say this, you might finish the thought out loud for me. When you see the word therefore, you need to stop and ask yourself, what is it there for? Because the word itself is a contextual clue. It's pointing us to something that's already been said or written, and it's drawing a connection with the thing that is about to come, right? It's a linking word of sorts. It's, it's pulling things together. I learned years ago in the study of hermeneutics, and that's just a fancy word to talk about how you interpret Scripture, learning to interpret the Scripture, study and know Scripture. I learned in, in hermeneutics uh, in, in my seminary training, that anytime you see that word, you need, to, you need to understand it's a contextual clue. And so it's drawing things together. So even in this passage, we read in the very first verse that we read together, verse 16, from now on, therefore, okay, so let's pause, therefore, what is it therefore, from now on? So again, we, we have picked this up in its context, but what he says here is that from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to flesh. Well, why is that? It's because of all the things that he has just said. So I want to back up briefly, and let's just look a few verses back. Let's just scan backward a few verses and look at what Paul had written. In, uh, in, let's just begin in verse 14. We could go further and, and get even more context, but even just to pick up the, the, the immediate thought just before this, he writes, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So in other words, the, the immediate preceding thought, the, the thought that I think the therefore is reaching back to grab, is that we no longer live for ourselves because Jesus died for us. And now that we have come to faith in him, we ought to live for him. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, he says. See, the first thing that I, I want to point to, the, and, and the thing that I think this first therefore statement helps us to see is that Jesus changes the way we see others. Jesus changes the way that we see others. So as Paul writes, we regard no one according to the flesh. What would that mean to regard someone according to the flesh. Well, the flesh, he's of course talking about, you know, we think of our flesh as our skin, as our, as our body, it's our, our, our reality, it's who we are, our flesh. But what he's saying in effect is that we no longer think of people as what they appear to be, as what they, what they, what they present to be. We need to see beyond that, or at least to the degree that we're able. We want to see people 
with the eyes of Christ. We want to see them as Jesus sees them. How does Jesus see this world? How does Jesus see those of us in the world? That's a great question to ask. Well, he, he points to it, in, again, in the immediate previous context, that Christ had love. Well, how does Jesus see this world? Jesus sees this world as a world that is broken and marred by sin, but it's a world that he, that he shed his blood to redeem from that sin. Jesus sees this world. When Jesus looks at you and me, what does Jesus see? Jesus sees his creation that he loved, that he pursued, that he sacrificed his life on the cross for in order that we might come to him in faith. And so no longer are we to look at people through uh, the eyes of the flesh, if you will. No longer are we to look at people and, and see them for uh, see them for the, the, the worldly things, right? What are some of the worldly things that we see when we look at people? Well, we, we see the clothes that somebody wears, and that tells us something about them. Maybe, maybe it tells us about their sense of fashion. Maybe it tells us a little bit about uh, how much money they, they have. Maybe it tells us just about their, their style, their flair, their personality. All these things come out, I, I suppose, to a degree. When we look at the flesh, we see the house that somebody lives in. We see the car that they drive. We see the community that, they, that they're from. We see the schools that they attend, the education that they receive, the job that they hold. We think of their talents and their abilities and the things that they're good at, the skills that they, right? When we look at the flesh, we look at all of these things. And yet, when Jesus looks at us, he sees beyond that to the matters of the heart. We learned this a long time ago. And, and so let me take you way back to a passage of text that we studied much earlier this year in the anointing of King David. When David, as a young man, was anointed as the future king over Israel. And what was it that we learned in that passage in Samuel that we studied? That when everybody else looks at someone, they see the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so David was a lowly shepherd. In fact, when the prophet appeared to David's father, Jesse, and said, I'm here to anoint one of your, future, one of your sons as the future king, they didn't even fetch David. The immediate thought was, well, of course, it would be the oldest of course, it would be the oldest because he's tall, he's handsome, he's commanding, he's got great presence. And yet the prophet who was listening to God and, 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 and getting instruction from God said, no, it's not that one. And they continued to go through the list. And finally, they get to the end of the sons and the prophet says, well, is there not another? And they said, well, yeah, there's David, but I mean, he's just the shepherd. He's out with the sheep, right? Go and get David. And when David comes, he takes the oil of anointing that he had brought and he pours it over David's head and anoints him the future king, the future leader. David was the, the least likely, even in his own household, the runt of the litter, if you will. And yet when God saw him, he saw the heart. He saw, he saw what he desired in a leader, in a future king over his people. God sees the heart. And so this for us is a matter of learning to try to see beyond the outward appearance, the outward trappings, and to see people truly as God sees them. Now, I would say that this goes beyond just trying to find the good in people because 
maybe the temptation is to say, okay, yeah, we need to try to see the good in everyone. And, and I would say it goes, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond, it, it, it goes to the point of seeing the brokenness, seeing the ugly, seeing the, seeing the sin, seeing the, all, the, all, all the, the mess, and yet understanding that Christ died for all of that, just as he did for us, just as he did for me, just as he did for you, that we would learn to see people with the eyes of Christ, see them as Jesus sees them, see them as beloved, no longer regarding anyone according to the flesh, but rather seeing them through the eyes of faith. Jesus changes the way that we see others. I wonder, what would it look like for you to see the people in your world the way that Jesus sees them. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever stopped, paused to think about how does Jesus see that person in my life that pushes all my buttons, that person in my life that just gets under my skin, that person in my life that I'm always upset at, the person who, who I don't have time for, the person who, who I feel like has, always has an agenda with me. What would it look like to see them the way that Christ sees them? The person who's, who's angered you, frustrated you, hurt you, what would it look like for you to see them through the eyes of faith, to see them as Jesus sees them, to see them as someone for whom he shed his blood, that he gave himself willingly? By God's grace, I think we can learn to see others through the eyes of faith. And this comes because of the transforming power of Christ in us. That's the point here, right? So, First of all, if we're to understand this, what it means for us to be ambassadors. Well, it creates a, it creates a desire, a stirring, a, a passion, an urgency within us as we begin to look at other people and see them the way that Jesus sees them. The second therefore statement in this passage is in verse 17. So he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. I think when we, when we read this, we understand that Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. Yes, Jesus, when Jesus is in our heart, when we trust him by faith, it ought to change the way that we see others. It also changes the way that we see ourselves. I am no longer who I once was. I am no longer the broken mess of my past. I am a new creation in Jesus. And this isn't something that I have done to save or ransom or fix myself. This is something that Jesus did for me. That's what 2 Corinthians is pointing us to. All this, in verse 18, that first phrase, all this is from God. This transformation that takes place, this change that's happening in our lives as we now have come to Christ in faith. It is the work of God, not the work of the flesh, not the work of self, not the work of our own self-righteousness or our own personal progress or our own trying or striving or doing. It is the work of Jesus in us. We become a new creation and it doesn't just say that the old one is set aside, does it? It doesn't just say that the old creation, the old self is superseded, but notice the particular wording here. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. We are no longer who we want. That person is dead. I'm dead to my former way of living. I'm dead to my former self. I'm no longer who I was. I'm alive now in Jesus. Think about that's exactly what we celebrate each time we we witness a baptism together. We say to the person who's being baptized that because of your confession of faith that I baptize you as my brother, my sister in Christ. And then we'll say, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in new life. And that picture of being dead to the old self, having died to the old self and made alive in Jesus is exactly what Paul is pointing to here. That we are made new. We are transformed. And so the reason that Jesus changes the way that we see ourselves is because, frankly, Jesus changes us. We ought to see ourselves differently because we ought to be someone who's different through faith in Jesus. Keep reading at some of the things. Just look at, look at the, the power of what he's writing about here in these next verses. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now let's explain that, and then we'll go on to talk about the ministry that we've been given. So reconciled. We don't use that word maybe too often, at least not many of us, but if you operate in the world of finances or business or accounting, then you use this word reconcile, right? Because when you reconcile something means that you, you balance the books, you make things add up, you, you, you balance the, the ledger, so to speak. When we think of reconciling, I suppose at least for many of us, we think of balancing a checkbook, or balancing our bank statement, right? Making sure that everything the statement says that it's accounted for in my mind and my spending, and that everything that I've spent, I, I look to see, I'm, I'm, reckon, I'm balancing. Do the, does it add up? And so what it's saying here is that Christ reconciled us to himself. Now, what, is that, what would that mean, that he reconciled us? That means that Jesus is the one who balanced the ledger, so to speak. So the gospel teaches us that because of our sin, because of our, our brokenness, the things that we have done, we are each one of us deserving of death, of punishment and death. And yet Jesus, who lived a sinless, perfect life, did not deserve to die. But he willingly offered himself on the cross as payment for us. His life as payment for our sin. His life as the, the ransom, if you will, to redeem us from our brokenness. And so the payment that Jesus made has paid the price for your sin if you come to him in faith. And so the books are balanced in that sense. The, things are reconciled. A payment was required, and Jesus is the one who made the payment that you couldn't make in order that you might receive the life that he freely offers. This is what it means that we are reconciled, that God was reconciling him, us to himself. But then, read the next phrase, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only does he do this for us, but now we are invited in and given a commission, given a charge, given a purpose, that we are to share this message with others. So we have been reconciled if, in fact, we have come to Jesus in faith, 
And now we have been invited to, to share that message. And the moment that we, that we embrace that calling, the moment that we embrace that purpose, now we begin to operate as his ambassadors, which is the point of the next therefore statement. That we would preach this message, verse 19, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them, and, and, and that he's entrusted to us this message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So the, the next therefore, if you will, is that we are ambassadors for Christ. And to understand this, we need to see that Jesus changes the way we see our mission. So Jesus changes the way we see others. Jesus changes the way we see ourselves, knowing that we are no longer who we were in our sin. We are a new creation. And now we have a new purpose, a new mission. Jesus changes the way we see our mission. Because in Christ, I am an ambassador to this world. In Christ, I have been given the ministry of preaching this message of reconciliation so that God, as it says in verse 20, is making his appeal through us. How, does it, how is it that God makes his appeal through you? Well, there's a couple of ways that, right, that we can think of. First of all, any time we, we would share this message, any time we, we would share the gospel with someone, any time we speak these words aloud, and that is so important, that we would actively, each one of us, be preaching the gospel with our words, that we would be sharing the message of Christ, that we would be pointing others to faith in Jesus. Because that's what an ambassador does, right? An ambassador, again, remember, represents the interest of, of their, their, their nation, their home, their people to another. Our job is to represent the interest of our King Jesus and his heavenly kingdom to a lost and dying world that they may see and know that there is forgiveness in Christ, that there is transformation for all of those who come to him in faith, that there is a new citizenship that we receive as heirs, co-heirs together with Christ as we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sin. And so our job, therefore, as ambassadors is to make this appeal on behalf of Christ that we would preach this message, be reconciled to God. It ought to change the way that we see our mission. And so I've said this I, I, in, in many different ways over, over the years, over time, and, and, and preaching from many different passages of, of Scripture. But I think it's so important that we see this as one of the central themes of the Scripture, is that the people of God have a purpose, have a part to play, a calling each one of us to be an ambassador, to be a, a, an, an emissary, if you will, to be a representative of Christ to this world. So tomorrow, most of us will wake up and go to work, and, and you have a job. You have a, a vocation of some sorts. But can I help you understand, my sisters and my brothers, that your real calling, your real purpose, your real assignment, your gospel assignment, is not just the vocation that pays the bills, but you serve 
as an ambassador for Jesus in a lost and dying world. So tomorrow you may clock in to sell insurance. You may clock in to teach school. Tomorrow you may go on the clock as an electrician, a plumber, a doctor, a lawyer. Uh, you may have a trade. You may run a business. You may, you may operate a, from, from home and, and, and work online in, a, in, in a digital environment or in an actual office with real people there, right? There's all kinds of different ways that we go to work, so to speak. But no matter what that may be, the vocation that you have is just a front for your real calling, and that is that you are a missionary to a lost and dying world for the sake of Jesus. You are Christ's ambassador to our community and the world around us. And can I say it even further this way? We think of the role of a missionary, that a missionary leaves their home, they leave their people, they travel to a foreign country and, and they share the gospel there and praise God for men and women who are willing to take that step. Even today, a little bit later on, we're gonna highlight the work of our missionaries, our Southern Baptist missionaries through our International Mission Board. In your bulletin this morning, there was a, a highlight. This is a week of prayer to pray for our missionaries through the work of our International Mission Board. And you can learn more about that by by going to imb.org, the website, or you can, you can also just read through this and you'll learn more. We support a network of 4,000 missionaries as Southern Baptists, and it goes even beyond that. We have a personal connection just this year at First Baptist Church. We sent out a set of missionaries who are serving now in South Asia, who not six months ago were here actively in members of our congregation and now are serving on the other side of the world. We have another set of missionaries, the Richards, Brad and Courtney Richard, who have been on the mission field for several years now in Papua New Guinea. In fact, I'm excited because in 2024, they'll come home for their first missionary furlough, their first period of stateside assignment this next summer, and they'll get to be with us, and we'll get to love on and encourage them before they head back to PNG and the call that, that God has placed on them there. And it's so evident when we look at these missionaries and we think, but what I want you to understand is that you are a missionary too. God may not have called you across the world. Now, some he may be calling in that way. But he's called us, everyone, to serve as a missionary for Christ. And God's not sending someone else to reach Chickasha in this community. It's our job. He's raising us up. We send missionaries out to places where the, the gospel witness is, is, is sparse, is thin, where there are relatively few. But there are plenty of us here to reach our community for Christ. God is raising us up, calling us out so that we would see this community, we would see this world as our mission field. Jesus changes the way we see our mission so that we recognize that we are Christ's ambassadors. And we're given a mission. What is that mission? It's to share Christ, to share the gospel. And verse 21 gives us what I think is a, a great summary of the gospel. A one-word summary of the message of the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake... Jesus took the cross and suffered and died and gave his life so that he might pay the price for our sins so that we 
could be reconciled to God. And now we are given this ministry of reconciliation so that we become his ambassadors proclaiming this message to a lost world, that we would urge them to be reconciled to God. Jesus changes the way we see others. Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. He changes the way that we see our mission. Have you come to the place that you've trusted Jesus in faith, that you have turned to him as Savior, that you have called on him, asking for him to forgive your sins, to come in your life and transform you as you confess him as Lord and Savior? Have you trusted him truly in faith? If you have, then praise God, you have been transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You are a new creation. You are now his ambassador. The question, I suppose, is, are are you a good one? Do you understand the role that you have to play? Have you embraced this call? Are you living on mission? Are you engaged with this purpose of sharing Christ with the world? As we move deeper and deeper into the Christmas season. What better thing for us to focus our hearts and lives on than Jesus, the one who has come, who has given himself for us, and who transforms us as we place our faith and our trust in him. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of invitation, a time of response. And the song that we're going to sing in that time of invitation is the song, Jesus Messiah, And even as we begin singing that song, you're going to recognize instantly the first words of that song, which say, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. Just lifted directly from 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We're going to sing this truth, remind ourselves that Jesus took our place on the cross as he offered himself for us so that we might now live in him. And if there's never been a moment when you have received him by faith, then I pray that even as we sing, you would come. In fact, our staff will be here at the front. We'll be standing here ready to receive you. And and even as we sing, if God is stirring your heart and you're ready to trust in Jesus today, to place your faith and your trust in him, to surrender your life to him, then we would encourage you that you would step into the aisle and come. Even as we sing, you would just make your way down to the front. Let us pray with you. Let us lead you in a prayer that you would surrender your life to him. Maybe you've taken that step, but what God's calling you to today is to embrace your role as an ambassador for Christ, as a missionary in this community to share the the gospel, to shine the light of Jesus into the darkness. And so today, if that's you, then, then... Again, we would encourage you that you would take some kind of a step of, of obedience that can be to come and kneel here in the front and prayer can be to come and visit with us. Let us pray with you. Maybe it's to, to grab someone seated near you and just say, hey, would you pray with me? I want to I make this commitment to serve Christ and be his ambassador. But as the Lord is leading you, as he's guiding your heart today, I would encourage you that you would respond in obedience to him, that you would embrace the mission that you've been given in Jesus, that you would implore the world around us on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Would you join me now in a moment of prayer as we 
prepare ourselves to respond in obedience and and to take steps of action on behalf of what Jesus has done for us. So Lord, we come before you this morning desiring to respond in obedience, knowing that you gave your life for us, Jesus, so that we would be transformed. We pray that you would transform us from the inside out. We recognize that in you, we are a new creation. So make us new. Change the way that we see others. Give us spiritual eyes to see the brokenness, the pain in the world around us. And give us the urgency to share the love of Christ to those in need. Give us spiritual eyes to see how we are being transformed. We are not perfect, not yet, not this side of glory. And yet, you, O perfect one, gave your life for us so that we could be forgiven. Lead us now, Holy Spirit, as we live in light of your your work in our hearts and our lives. And help us to see the mission that you have given us to share Christ with others. And so we pray, move in our hearts as we respond to you this morning. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.